Hello everybody and welcome to today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host Mitch Michaels, delighted to have you with me on this weekday in October. Leafs change and magic in the air and it is still football season. Got a couple heavy hitters to break down, pro and college football on today's episode. Starting with Kent Brown coming back to the show, hosting a couple podcasts. is what he does, including the college football experience, a good friend of mine. We're going to break down how Oklahoma lost as 31.5 point favorites to Iowa State. If Michigan is again overrated, shot, shot there. And uh, some big picks this week uh, on week seven. If, especially if you got some skin in the game, you're going to want to listen to Kent Brown's picks there. And then Adam Musto returns to the show to break down the pro game. We're going to talk about Mitch Trubisky's, Mitchell Trubisky's, don't want to get that name wrong, debut with the Bears. He goes by Mitchell. You know, I go by Mitchell, he goes by Mitchell. Nothing wrong with that. And some other big games, Aaron Rodgers doing Aaron Rodgers things again. And the undefeated Kansas City Chiefs as the best team in the league with Alex Smith as the MVP. Yep, that is true. All things and more football on today's show. It's the Money Mitch Effect. I'm excited. You're excited. Let's start the show. All right, it's time to talk college football. Special guest on today's show. Officially now reoccurring guest. This is the second time on the podcast. He's the host of several podcasts himself, including the College Football Experience. Kent Brown joins the show. Kent. Thanks for coming back to the Money Mitch Effect. Of course, I'm looking forward to it. We can talk a little betting, talk a little college football. Pretty much any time you and I get together and talk some sports, it's always a good time. I know we're definitely going to talk a little betting. And before I get going, i got to give a shout-out to Utah's kicker because that was amazing last week, how he was able to make that extra point in Pac-12 after dark to keep that a three-point game. So big, big thanks to him. I just want to get that out of the way first. But... Kent, uh, it was a very interesting week six. I got to start with your alma mater, though. Miami, undefeated. And they beat Florida State in as dramatic of a game as we saw. I know you were bullish on this team a bit, but did you, even a fan of the program yourself, did you see them starting out this hot? Based on what the early schedule was like, I figured that they would build up a nice four or five, six game winning streak, and then they would head to that midseason portion. Originally, Remember, the Florida State game was supposed to be week three, and then it got pushed back due to Hurricane Irma. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know at the time Florida State would be starting a freshman quarterback with Francois Hurt. And then, of course, for Miami, the question all summer was, who will win the starting quarterback job? Now Malik Razier has looked pretty solid. He's far from perfect, but he's experienced in terms of he's now he's in, he's in his fourth year in the program, second year with Mark Rick. And he's playing at a nice level. I thought Miami this year going in would be about a 10-2 and two team. I thought they'd win the Coastal Division, ultimately lose to Clemson in the ACC title game. I'm still kind of feeling about the same. They are only going to play 11 games this year. The Arkansas State game will not be made up. So realistically, I think at this point, 10-1, and one, and if you can beat Georgia Tech this week and you can beat Virginia Tech in a few weeks, they're probably going to win the Coastal if they win those two games. But I've been very impressed with the Canes so far, but the one thing, Mitch, that does worry me, they've had injuries on the offensive line. Mark Walton, their all-ACC running back, is out for the year with an ankle injury. He has surgery this week. So the depth at the running back position worries me going forward. They can't really afford to lose anyone else. No, they can't. Uh, I guess I'll say I'm not too surprised that the, with the start with them even beating Florida State, as you said, playing a second-string quarterback in the Seminoles. But any time a team 
takes the next step, makes the leap. I, I'm concerned with how they do in big games, in pressure moments. And that Florida State game, Florida State scores late. I wasn't expecting Miami to just march down the field and execute like they did. I obviously know that Clemson is the team, is the class of this conference, but it's nice to see the Hurricanes at least back to a level of prominence. Now, on the Florida State side, though, another gutting loss for them. It's I, I didn't think Francois meant as much to this program as I guess he does. Do you think there's anything left to salvage for their season? I guess for them it's a matter of showing pride and potentially you know they still have a chance to play Florida down the line. You win that game. That's always a huge win for the program. They still have Clemson. I don't expect them to beat Clemson, but maybe they'll make it interesting. There is a lot of NFL talent on that team. To me, whether Francois is in the lineup or not, the issue for Florida State is their offensive line has been underwhelming all year. Even when they lost to NC State or barely survived Wake Forest, the offensive line was losing that battle with the line of scrimmage. Last week, they started picking it up. They had a bunch of big runs. I think Cam Akers is one of the best freshmen in the country. He was the top-rated all-purpose running back coming out of high school last year, actually played quarterback throughout his career in Mississippi. But the guy's versatile. He had over 100 yards last week against Miami. He's averaging over seven yards a carry. I think Florida State is a type of team that can probably still finish with seven wins, mm-hmm. maybe pull an offset along the way. And But the offensive line has to get better, and it's been underwhelming the last couple of years. But to me, that's what they have to sell. That they still have Florida. They still have Clemson. They still have five, six games left. So I think for them to just phone it in, would not be a wise thing. And Jimbo Fisher's also proven himself as a quality head coach. If you remember last year, Florida State lost a couple games early. A lot of people rode them off. out, Beating Florida, going to the Orange Bowl and beating a Michigan team that was perceived as a near playoff contender. So I don't think they'll quite be that drastically good by the end of the year, but it wouldn't surprise me if Florida State uh, turns it around, loses one more game, and finishes 7-4. and four. Yeah, a lot of talent still on that team, but we, we still have to see what they can do, how they can manage some of the injury losses that they have. I'm glad you brought up Michigan because that's where I want to go next, Kent. Uh, is, and I'll ask you this. Is Jim Harbaugh just completely overrated, or is he not a big-game coach? I mean, this is a recurring theme with him against Michigan State and Ohio State, now 1-4 and four against those two programs. I thought he's been overrated for the last few years simply based on the fact of where people actually rate him. If you look at it, a lot of people say the best coaches in the country, Nick Saban, of course, Urban Meyer, of course. And then Jim Harbaugh usually gets mentioned as that next coach. He's certainly a good coach. And if you saw what he did with the San Francisco 49ers in the NFL, or if you saw what he did at Stanford, he does build programs up and make them better. But at Michigan right now, he's in year three. Generally speaking, in college, year two and year three are where you get better. You don't make excuses about the past team. Remember, he inherited a team that Brady Hoke left that had a ton of NFL talent. All those draft picks from last year's team, I know him and his coaching staff helped make those players better and develop them, but those were Brady Hoke guys. Now you're seeing it. In year three, where's his quarterback? He has a transfer in Will O'Corn, hasn't done much. He has a John O'Corn, I should say. He also has Walton Spate, who hasn't done much. These guys are not great quarterbacks, and yet he's supposed to be a quarterback guru. He has not only one coordinator that's getting a million dollars, he actually has three 
different assistant coaches. There's no other program in the country that has three different assistant coaches making over a million dollars. A lot of teams don't have one. And yet, when they played Michigan State last week, the Spartans were the better team up front. They were more physical. They were the smarter football team. They had the better quarterback. They're probably not a better overall team than Michigan this year in terms of I think Michigan State probably wins seven or eight, maybe nine tops. Michigan's probably a nine and three type of team. But in year three, Mitch, where's the improvement? How much better do they look? They're one and four against their biggest rivals. He lost his bowl game last year against Florida State. You mentioned it. Does he lose the big game? So far, that's been his M.O., and I would say he is, as of now, overrated on the grand scheme of college football. I don't want to take anything away from Michigan State because they came in there, they won a game up against it. It was rainy. It was, you know, tough, tough conditions. I get that. But Michigan still leads the country in total defense. And what's the most shocking thing about all this, Kent, is the offense just looks so pedestrian. Not just this game, but look at all those first halves they had in weeks past. He's an offensive guy. That's what. Um, that's the disconnect with me. What I don't understand why this offense in year three, as you said, still looks so bland and and basically mediocre. Yeah, if you look at it in terms of year two, year three, Nick Saban was able to win a national championship in year three. If you look at Urban Meyer, he won the national championship in year two. Mark D'Antonio of Michigan State was winning the Big Ten in year four. Uh, even. At Notre Dame, Brian Kelly made a national championship game in year three. We've seen with Davos when he's done. Chris Peterson at Washington has turned it around very quickly. Yeah, the issue is offensively, they're very stale. They're very simple. And the offensive line, I mentioned Florida State earlier being underwhelming. Michigan's offensive line was not that good, and I've watched them a lot. Michigan's offensive line against Air Force was underwhelming. Against Michigan State, they underperformed. Against Cincinnati, they had trouble in short yardage and red zone offense has been atrocious for Michigan. They're one of the worst teams in the country in red zone touchdown percentage. And that usually doesn't get better in the second half of the season. Generally speaking, you are who you are when you get to mid November and mid October. I think Michigan's a fine team. That defense, as you said, is awesome. There's no way anyone can blame the defense for what happened Saturday, but that offense, are they going to beat Penn state? Probably not. Are they going to beat Ohio State? I doubt it. And then they're at Wisconsin. That's mm-hmm. probably a loss as well. So you might be looking at eight and four. And if he finishes third or fourth place again, next year has to become a time where he turns that corner. Otherwise, you're paying him nine million. You're paying Pat Hamilton as a passing coordinator, Tim Drevno as an offensive coordinator, and Don Brown as a defensive coordinator, all over a million. And if you're going eight and four, nine and three, maybe ten and two in your best year, and you're not beating your rivals, all it says is you're a decent program who can't win the big games, as you said from the start. Yeah, it's uh, they're an undisciplined team too. But if they if they finish third or fourth in the conference again, wow, we are going to be looking at some turbulent times in Ann Arbor. Well, in the division, in the con- in the <laughs> yeah. division, in the conference, they yeah, in the conference they might be the fourth or fifth best team. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Ohio State, Penn State in their own side. Uh, Michigan State, who they now have lost to. Tough times indeed in Ann Arbor. Still chat with Kent Brown on the Money Mitch effect. I want to switch to the positives now in this college football season. We're six weeks in. But a big positive for the state of Washington, Kent. We have two teams from that state undefeated and in the top ten. Fifth-ranked Washington and eighth-ranked Wazoo, Washington State. 
Should we have expected this at all? I know Washington made the playoff last year, but Washington stayed under a great coach and Mike Leach undefeated also. Or is this to be expected, or what's your element of surprise here? For Washington, there's no surprise. I feel like the Huskies, you know, I picked them last year to win the Pac-12. I thought they were a year away. I really still felt like 2017 would be their year. They were my pick to go undefeated this year, eventually make the national championship game and lose to Alabama. I'm very much sold on Washington. I love their defense. I love what they do offensively. They did lose one of their two starting receivers for the season a couple of weeks ago, but Pettis is a nightmare to match up with. Gaskin's an awesome running back, and Jake Browning's just one of those solid, consistent. You look at his box score each week, and you go, that guy just always puts together a solid game. So for the Huskies, I'm not surprised at all. For the Washington State Cougars, I'm surprised. I thought they would be like a borderline top 25 team. They might win eight. They might win nine. They might win seven. And Luke Falk is outstanding. One thing they're doing, though, Mitch, and this is what is probably different between Washington State in 2017 and the Texas Tech teams that Lee Chad or Washington State of a few years ago, they're actually really good up front. Mm -hmm. Uh, Against USC, it wasn't a surprise or it really wasn't a lucky performance that they beat them. They dominated USC up front. They ran the football well. They have two sets of running backs that are very good. And then defensively, Hercules Mata'afa is this 240-pound defensive tackle from Hawaii. It's unstoppable. He's always in the backfield making plays. And they're secondary. They recruit a lot of kids from Southern California that are speed kids at top programs out here that maybe get overlooked by USC and UCLA. They go up there with a chip on their shoulder. And they play hard. And Mike Leach is doing a great job. He went and hired a really good defensive coordinator a couple years ago. And the big difference is they're playing well on both sides of the ball up front. And that was not ever Mike Leach's MO when he was at Texas Tech. It was all about can you outscore the opposition? Can you pass the ball 65 times, run it 12 times, and still win? Now they're running the ball probably 20 to 25 times, but they're picking up a lot of yardage. If you watch them against USC, there's a lot of run extension plays where they're throwing to the flat. There's bubble screens, shovel passes, things that are right near the line of scrimmage that are catching the defense off guard. So I am surprised by Wazoo. I love watching them. They're a fun team to watch. Washington, though, I have no surprise. I think they're one of the best two, three, four teams in the country. And I actually expect them to go undefeated heading into the Pac-12 title game. But it's been a great year for the state of Washington. And I think it would be awesome if that Apple Cup had a lot of playoff implications in late November. Oh, yeah, it's looking that way, too. And I agree, Washington's defense is nasty. Uh, offensively, they didn't lose as much talent as many people would seem to believe. I guess, Kent, to me, Washington State, that win, you're right, they could have beat USC by more than the margin of victory seven. They, they gave a couple points up and a couple big plays, or else they're really dominant in that game. It's crazy, but I think I might be more impressed, though, with what they did last week against Oregon going on the road. I know it's not the same old Oregon, but it's the typical letdown game that immature immature programs tend to have. They go on the road to Oregon, and they just beat them down. So I was impressed. This is a team that's figuring it out. Mike Leach is just a winner, and, yeah, I'm with you. I want that Apple Cup to be two undefeated Washington teams at this point. And what's impressive about that win against Oregon as well was that that was their first road game. They opened the season with five home games. A lot of times you get very comfortable at home, you haven't left, and you go into any environment that might be tricky. They went into one of, if not the toughest environment in all of the Pac-12, and 
I understand it was Burmeester, a freshman, making his first start for Oregon. They were down to the third-string quarterback. Royce Freeman was banked up. That's what you do against a team like that. You don't just survive. You go in, you dominate. If you're a true top-ten team, you play Oregon on the road with a third-string quarterback, you should beat them by three touchdowns. And, but I'm with you. I was extremely impressed with that. I thought it would be a nail-biter game, and it was anything but. Wazoo jumped them early, held that lead, never gave it up. And, yeah, they've been, as you mentioned earlier, have they exceeded my expectations? Have they matched them? They've certainly exceeded any expectation I could have had so far through half the season. So let's look now, Kent, at the Big 12, still talking with Kent Brown, host of College Football Experience, on today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect and Oklahoma loses as a 31.5-point favorite to Iowa State. Ken, here's a little stat for you. Seven straight years Oklahoma has lost to somebody as a double-digit favorite. It's, it's improbable that they do that, and this game in particular makes no sense. I know we follow it a lot, college football, but I was completely stumped that this happened. Yeah, I didn't get to see the game at the time. I've now seen highlights and certainly read about it, and this an awful loss. Any way you put it, that's the type of loss that can't happen. I don't care what the situation is. It doesn't matter. You can't lose at home to Iowa State, especially after you go into Columbus at Ohio Stadium and dominate Ohio State for four quarters. It's just a weird game. And, look, I understand that Lincoln Riley's in his first year as coach. I still and have felt like I actually – kind of thought last week Oklahoma might lose to Texas this week, thinking that would be the game that would get them mm-hmm. in October. I now feel better about that game because I feel like if they have any chance of winning the conference and making the playoffs, they can't lose back-to-back weeks. But their defense is still, to me, a, kind of a liability. And I don't buy into, I know Bob Stoops left, but his brother, Mike Stoops, is still there as a team coordinator. And that defense has not been great since he took over when Brent Venables left to go to Clemson. That defense in big games has struggled, and it stepped up mightily against Ohio State week two. But that was an Ohio State team. You're an Ohio guy. That offense was not, by any means, a good offense at that point. I think Ohio State's a lot better now than they were September 9th. I think for Oklahoma, the biggest issue now becomes, can that defense step up enough to win out in the Big 12? Because if you look at it, they still have TCU, Texas, Kansas State, potential showdown with West Virginia that will be tough, Oklahoma State, which is going to be brutal, in Bedlam, and then also a potential rematch against one of those teams in a Big 12 title game. I don't think that defense is good enough to go 6-0 in those games. It might be more like 4-2 and in those six. And I didn't really buy into Oklahoma as a playoff contender before the year. I thought after the Ohio State game they looked the part, but I did really question that defense. And giving up 38 points at home to Iowa State and letting them score on every one of their last five possessions, whether it was a field goal or a touchdown, says a lot about their defense and really the lack of talent that they have in this position. Yeah, especially before that, you know, 0-5 Baylor put up points on them. That should have been our first sign that this defense is in some trouble. That uh, was? I, yeah, I think I think when – I, I, it's good you bring that up because I think that's one thing that maybe doesn't get brought up much because people just look at 5-0 and and they're 4-0 at the time and they kind of overlook who they beat. That Baylor game, Baylor was, you know, I think it was like a seven-point game. Baylor was in the game until the final minute. They had an onside kick late that could have given them the ball back with a chance to tie it. 
that was not a dominant performance. And we've seen Baylor get dominated several times this year. That was the real first red flag of yep, this defense still is not national championship caliber like a lot of people were buying into. No, it's not, and especially given that that Big 12 is, is going to be a round robin. It, somebody is going to have a rematch in the championship game. Oklahoma needs to win out and, and just hope the chips fall their way. You know, it's a thin line. The margin for error is gone. Same thing we said, or I said about Oklahoma State when they lost that TCU game. You know, two losses and you're all but done uh, in the Big 12. So we'll see what happens. It's another interesting week in college football. Kent Brown, let's look at to wrap this up some picks for this week some interesting games on tap for week seven should be noted though that i don't see at least by my knowledge any ranked matchups but still always the chance for some drama and that red river shootout right on par uh with what we were just talking is the one that's got my attention first because every year no matter what happens this is a, a pretty intense game it's on a neutral site you know in dallas where they play it kent oklahoma seven and a half point favorites and honestly, given their loss last week and Texas's win, the dramatic win over Kansas State, this seems about right for me. I think Texas is very close in this game, if not winning this game. So the fact that you get that hook, you get over the seven points, I've seen it up to even eight if you can jump at that. But I like Texas in this one. I think that if you're going to give seven and a half points away with that defense and knowing the fact that Texas has looked a lot better defensively since week one when they had a real nightmare performance against Maryland. It's usually a close game regardless. Even when Charlie Strong was coached there, he was able to find a way to win that game. I feel like whether, you know, Ellinger, Buchel, both of those guys can contribute. I like the Texas receiving core. I think their offensive line is much better than it was the last couple seasons. I would feel pretty confident saying I think Texas covers the seven and a half at the Cotton Bowl. I'm glad they're still playing it there. They haven't shifted to Jerry World. I love that environment. You get half the burn orange, half the, the crimson with Oklahoma. It's just an awesome environment. It's one of the best games. It sucks. It's not 11 a.m. Central anymore. I used to love for so many years. It would be right after college game day. That would be the headline noon Eastern game, mm-hmm. 9 a.m. for us out here on the West Coast. And now they're pushing it back to mid-afternoon. But I think Texas is going to fight for four quarters. They very well might win it. But, yeah, if you're going to give me seven and a half in this one, I'll take it all day. So hook him in that one. Yeah, I like Texas just because of the point spread and how close this game is. But I think Oklahoma is going to edge them out by about a field goal. They're in danger. But, yeah, I'm, I, I agree. I think Texas and the points is the play here. I, right, I think overall, I think overall, Oklahoma probably still finds a way to win, mm-hmm. but not by more than a touchdown. Oh, no. Yeah, it, this should be a dogfight. In the SEC, there are some interesting games this week, and one in particular has caught my eye, Kent. That's Florida, who lost to LSU last week, hosting Texas A&M. Florida now with two losses on the season in the swamp, going to play in those ridiculous Gator uniforms, so we hear, and they take on Texas A&M, who played Bama pretty tight last week. They're four and two on the season and still fighting for their coach's job. Kent, Florida's a three-point favorite in this game. Am I crazy to think A&M has a chance here? Well, they certainly have a chance. I feel like Florida's offense is so below average right at this moment that any team in the SEC or any legitimate, decent Power 5 team would have a chance against them. Yeah. I do feel like the best unit in this game is the Florida defense. Now, the uniforms are hideous. They almost <laughs> deserve to lose based on that alone. I agree. They had multiple chances last week to beat LSU. Even week one against Michigan, the defense held its own. They had two pick sixes. They've been sharp on defense. 
A&M, I still have some more questions about. I think they played over their head against Alabama. Christian Kirk is awesome, the best receiver in the country. Kellen Mond has been fine. Travion Williams is a good pass. But I don't see them scoring unless they force turnovers, which is very probable against Florida. I don't see them scoring more than 20, 21 points. I think Florida will find a way to force some turnovers, maybe even get a defensive touchdown, and find themselves in the mid-20s. So I like the Gators to win something like right over that three-point line, maybe 24 to 20, you know, 27 to 21, something like that. I do feel like I think the over-under is somewhere in the mid-50s, correct? Yeah, I'm seeing uh, – no, actually, I'm seeing 51 and a half. It's a low 50s. Okay, so that's – I still – I think it goes under that, but – if you can maybe tease this one up, like this would be a good one in my opinion. You tease that over under up to like fifty eight and a half, and then maybe you tease A and M to plus ten, and all of a sudden, I don't think Florida wins by eleven or more, and I don't think this game ends up in the sixties. So that's probably would be my wise bet on this one: is tease the over up and then bet under. So under sixty eight and a half or fifty eight and a half and then make A&M plus 10 or plus 10 and a half, depending on where you can get it. And I feel pretty good about that. I think Florida wins, but I don't think it's the prettiest game on the schedule. And with those hideous uniforms, it's almost an unwatchable game. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm just at a point with these middle-of-the-road SEC teams where the points look good no matter who you have. But yeah, Florida, if they're going to bounce back and make a run at it, it, especially with how Georgia's doing in the SEC East, they need to take care of business at home. A&M is uh, an up-and-down season, as we know. Uh, another coach, another program in the SEC that may be coaching for their job this week, Tennessee, Kent, taking on South Carolina at home. You know, the line open at 1.5 from what I'm seeing. It's up to 2.5 now. New quarterback, lots of turmoil at Rocky Top. What do you like here, South Carolina or Tennessee to cover? <laughs> I mean, I wish I could say neither. <laughs> yes. That would be the easiest thing. It's just one of those games, in all honesty, it's kind of an avoid. Like, I would not feel comfortable putting any money on either of these teams. But if you're going to ask me right now, Tennessee minus two and a half, I'd go South Carolina there. I just, I I think Tennessee is starting to work its way towards being done. South Carolina looked a lot better last week against Arkansas. They dominated them in that game. So, if you're going to have to have me pick, this isn't one of the you know, out of the whole college football slate, I could probably come up with 50 other games I'd rather put money on. But I would take South Carolina in this one because I buy into their quarterback more intently. I don't necessarily think that Guarantano's making his first start for Tennessee is necessarily a savior for that team. And their defense is lousy. You can run the football on them. I expect South Carolina to know that and probably find a way to win in Neyland Stadium. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs, but hey. Sometimes the uh, the bad teams make the most fun betting outcomes, as we know. Three more games I want to get to before I let you go. Kent Brown on the Money Mitch Effect. And I'm bringing this game up for a specific reason. Stanford's 10.5-point favorites over Oregon, the little Pac-12 game after dark. But I want to know what the record has to be for Stanford, for the Cardinal, for Bryce Love to win the Heisman Trophy. Because we see what he's doing. He's three, He's like 200 yards ahead of everybody else in the country rushing. I think he's right there. I think as of now, it's Saquon Barkley and Bryce Love as your top two. So he's very much in the mix. In a perfect world, you wouldn't think wins and losses should matter, but you know to a lot of the voters it does. But I think if they're seven and five, that will hurt him. But if they're nine and three or eight and four, and he continues to put up 
180, 210, 150, and he's averaging 8, 9, 10 yards a carry. Right now he's well over 10, but eventually he'll come below that. I think he'll be in the mix. It also depends, too, is what does Saquon Barkley do the rest of the year? Is Penn State undefeated? Are they a 10-2 and team that maybe loses to Ohio State and then trips up to somebody else along the way? Then all of a sudden, it's not like his wins and losses are so much better either. And neither guy's a quarterback. So when you look at Bryce Love, ultimately it's up to the rest of the team to kind of provide him the holes for him to get through. And he's doing it. When you give him a lane, he's making the best of that. But as a running back, you can probably get away with a few losses. I mean, if you look last year, Lamar Jackson ended up winning the Heisman. His team had three losses. So it wasn't inconceivable for you know, a non-playoff contender to win the award. So I think if Bryce Love keeps doing what he's doing, he'll be a finalist. He very well might win it. But right now he's second, I feel like, on most people's list. When you see the straw polls, it's usually number one, Saquon Barkley, and at this point, number two, Bryce Love. Yeah, I'm, I think there too. I, I would put Barkley just ahead of him, but what Love's doing, it catches a lot of people off guard, whether that's because a lot of his games are later and they're not being watched by the majority of the public but hey i think stanford's going to cover here i think they're going to beat oregon and i like love to really uh put on a show again two more games left southern cal usc takes on utah this was supposed to be a ranked match for the week but utah didn't hold up their end of the bargain last week 13 points for usc at home are they back to being this much of a prohibitive favorite i mean they haven't looked as great as people thought they'd be this year no, I don't think so. I think USC had some serious issues in terms of if they, if the people are still thinking a national championship threat, I'm not buying that. They certainly, if they win this game, will most likely win the South Division and get to the Pac-12 title game. But USC, if you've watched them over the years, especially against Utah, which is in their division and frankly has probably been their biggest challenger in the South Division the last few years, Utah is a physical team that seems to win that battle up front. The same way I mentioned earlier about Washington State, when they played USC, they were able to win the line of scrimmage. Utah, I understand they lost to Stanford last week, and that was a game that, you know, if they are a true Pac-12 champion contender, they probably win. But I'm with you. 13 points is way too many. I'll expect the Trojans to get the W and move to or keep alive their national championship hopes and get 6-1, and one. but I don't think they win by two touchdowns. I think the one way they do is if they, with many games, force turnovers, limit points for Utah, and thus create points off of turnovers. But in general, Utah should be able to do very well on the offensive line. This is a USC team that's banged up, yeah. and they don't have a bye week this year. They've had a ton of injuries on their offensive line and their defensive line. When fully healthy, they might cover this, but they're not fully healthy. I, I'm with you. I think Utah loses but doesn't lose by two touchdowns. Yeah, a lot of injuries on that Trojan offensive line. They have to protect Arnold. That was the theme in the Washington State game and a lot of other games this year. Even Cal, when it was close for a little while, they can get to Darnold. I think USC wins, but, yeah, probably by about seven or eight. I don't, I don't like 13 at all. And then lastly, Kent, we, it all comes back to that Miami team, Miami-Georgia Tech. I think this is a fascinating game, 3.30 kickoff. Miami at home undefeated. Georgia Tech has been a stout team at times this year. Line open at 7 is down to 5 by what I'm seeing. How do you feel about the Hurricanes this week? Do you think Georgia Tech has a realistic chance of pulling off the upset? I think Georgia Tech certainly can do it in that they run the football well. 
that can dictate time of possession. I mean, they're the type of team that they get rolling, they're annoying to play against, and they're very good at what they do. The thing is, Miami, surprisingly, whether it was Al Golden or Randy Shannon or now the early portion of Mark Rick, they've been very good against the triple option with Paul Johnson and stopping it. And a lot of it has to do with Miami always seems to have a ton of athleticism. That doesn't always translate to wins. But if you look at their linebackers, Porterman, McLeod, and Pinkney, they're all very fundamentally sound. The defensive linemen are very good. You know, one of the best defensive lines in the country, in my opinion. And the secondary is probably the biggest weakness of the defense, and they shouldn't have to worry about being tested too much against the wishbone. So I like Miami to win the game. I think overall that Miami's the type of team that probably, you know, wins by about a touchdown. And when you start breaking it down, Georgia Tech is good. They're one of the biggest contenders in this division against Miami. But I do like the Canes to ultimately sneak out, cover the spread, get their fifth win, actually their fourth win of the season because they're not having that makeup game against Arkansas State. But overall, Mitch, the Canes are in pretty good shape here. And I think they end up winning by about a touchdown. The only thing that would make me a little bit hesitant is maybe they're up 10, 11 points late because of the injuries with Mark Walton and the offensive line. Maybe they just decide, okay, we're putting in our backups. Georgia Tech scores late, ends up covering because they lose by three or four. But in general, I feel like Miami's about a touchdown better than Georgia Tech heading into this weekend. Yeah, and it's the strength versus strength matchup of or I should say the weakness on Miami, you mentioned it, the secondary probably isn't going to get tested too much uh, where they would be vulnerable. I, I like Miami to win. I yeah, like and if you want to hear, and also if you want to hear my best bet of the week, because we talked a lot of California team and, uh, you know, my college football experience podcast, myself and my co-host, we do our best bet of the week. So far, my co-host has been 6-0. and He hasn't missed one. I'm 5-1. and one. I've missed one of those. I think it's San Diego State this week. Mm-hmm. Minus seven against Boise State. Rashad Penny's been a monster. San Diego State's defense is excellent. I don't buy into Boise State as being that good of a team this year. And I expect San Diego State to win by 17, 14, maybe even 20 points. So in terms of throwing out a best bet, since I didn't feel all that confident with a Tennessee, South Carolina, (laughs) or even a Florida versus Texas A&M straight up type, I feel like San Diego State minus seven. I've seen it at seven and a half. I would certainly feel better about seven, but in general, I think they win by double figures, and the Aztecs so far have been a really good team who are very much in that picture of being you know, the best group of five teams that can go to a year six game. Well, you've never led us astray before, so hopefully that doesn't change now. We, we trust that pick, San Diego State. Uh, a lot of faith put into that, but thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for uh, sharing your knowledge with us on this show, Kent. I uh, really appreciate it. Anything coming up on your end with your uh, podcast, College Football Experience? Yeah, we're going to have that published most likely later in the evening. Another just recapping last week's action, going through this week's top games, talking about kind of like which games are the most fun ones to watch, our best bets, our upset picks. Uh, just kind of rounding through college football, and we're almost really nearing that midway point now. So these games, they always matter in college football, but now you're starting to see – the good teams separate from the bad teams, and the great teams separate from the good teams. So just more college football talk. You can check us out, as you mentioned earlier, at the College Football Experience. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, you name it, we're on there. And uh, 
we're excited, man. It's sort of, this season is fun and fast. I think college football is always one of those things when week one games matter. It's positive, but it's a three-month season. It's short, and then you wait for your bowl games, but it's always a blast, and it always seems to go by a little too fast. That indeed it does. That is uh, very accurate. It's been uh, a fun season as always, but can't believe we're already six weeks in, about to be seven on Saturday. Well, Kent Brown, this was fun. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. We will be talking soon, I'm sure of that. Thanks again. Always. Have fun, man, and uh, hopefully we, we give our listeners some good betting advice they can win some money. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, big thanks again to Kent Brown. And a reminder, you can catch the College Football Experience, his podcast on all the platforms that podcasts are available. You got a lot of pressure on you, Kent, now. Don't let our listeners down with that lock of the week with San Diego State. But <laughs> in all seriousness, thanks again to him for coming on the show. All right, now we're going to go to the pro game as the return of Adam Musto. Week five of the NFL season is in the books. A lot to discuss. Chiefs, best team in football. Alex Smith is the MVP. Strange times indeed. Is that for real? One-on-one with Shaquille O'Neal? No, I mean, but anyway. Aaron Rodgers destroys the Cowboys' hopes in the last minute. The Cowboys, are they in trouble? Are the Panthers and Eagles legit NFL teams? A lot to discuss. We've got Adam Musto back to do that on the NFL. Here's Adam Musto now. Money Mitch Effect. All right, another NFL week in the books, Money Mitch Effect, and it is now time to talk to recurring guest friend of the program, Adam Musto, to recap these games. Adam, thanks for rejoining the show. Definitely. Thanks for having me. It wasn't the best night for some of our local sports teams when we record this on a Monday. We'll try to make do, and we're recording this right on the heels of one of the more interesting, uniquely interesting, I'll say, Monday night football games in recent memory. The Vikings outlast the Bears 20-17 to on a last-second field goal to improve on the season of 3-2, and dropping the Bears to 1-4. But, Adam, this game was going to be remembered for Mitch Trubisky, Mitchell Trubisky, I should say, as he likes to be called, his first start. And uh, the results were not that great, so some promise, but a tough night for him, a tough night for a lot of players in this weird game that had punters throwing touchdowns, choreographed celebrations, interesting two-point conversion plays. But in the end, the Vikings win. Trubisky doesn't play that well. What was your reaction as a Bears fan to the first game of Trubisky on this Monday Night Football? Yeah, I mean, I did see some upside. I think that um, what really showed is obviously the Bears are lacking in a lot of different areas. I think the defense has been a pleasant surprise this season. But, yeah, I mean, they've really shot themselves in the foot with penalties um, at really in a inopportune times and injuries or just kind of inconsistency. What's left of their uh, wide receiver core uh, really doesn't give a whole lot of options for Trubisky to do well. I know, I feel like the first couple of series, he had some really nice throws, one that the sideline really, you know, fitting it in things you don't really see from Mike Lennon, but, you know, obviously it's frustrating to go down first play of the last drive where you have a chance to possibly, you know, win the game and kind of put your stamp on what would have been, you know, an amazing win. But, you know, I don't know if that's a sign of things to come. Obviously, you know, I'm sure there's some growing pains and, and rookie mistakes that will happen. And that's kind of where, you expect it. You hopefully, you know, it doesn't become a trend. I know uh, Jay Cutler was known for throwing a lot of interceptions in the red zone. Hopefully, you know, Trubisky doesn't become the guy that's throwing them deep in Bears territory. Yeah, it was a rookie mistake. The pass to the Harrison Smith interception that sealed the uh, that set up the late game game winning field goal. There's a lot of other rookie mistakes in that game, but I will say, you're right in the sense that receiving core is beat up. 
the Bears team didn't really do him a lot of favors either with a lot of penalties. I don't, I haven't watched too many, honestly, full disclosure, too many Bears games this year. But it seemed like that was a reoccurring theme: a lot of penalties, stalling drives, and and really halting Trubisky's pros, prospects, I should say. But there are some positives with this team, and I think the timing-wise, I wanted to hear your perspective. But I think this is about when you're ready to roll him out. You let Glennon play the first quarter of the season until they know that they're probably not going to the playoffs. And I think this is the right time to see if Trubisky has it. Yeah, I think this is a common track of uh, kind of what you've been seeing from from this. I mean, you know, I, I know people were pretty surprised in the offseason when A, the Bears signed Mike Lennon, and then B, when they traded up to draft Trubisky so high after trading up a, a pick. But but you kind of see it. I, I think the, the Rams did a pretty similar path with uh, Case Keenum. I believe it was Case Keenum and Goff where Goff was supposed to be the guy after a year, kind of do that redshirt year, but you struggle a little bit. I believe it was Chad Henney and Blake Bortles down in Jacksonville, where the goal in a perfect world is to have the veteran play the whole season and the rookie can learn. But, you know, if you have a couple tough losses and that veteran quarterback isn't progressing or doing as well as you expected, sometimes you just got to throw in the wide receiver. I mean, sorry, the rookie quarterback there. I know, like, the one situation I kind of remember is, uh, I think, Carson Palmer and uh, John Kitna, where John Kitna really, you know, exceeded his expectations when they drafted Carson Palmer, and, you know, they had a decision to make there, and I'm sure that's probably what the Chiefs are dealing with now with Alex Smith as well, so, you know, you kind of have to figure out, obviously, it's better to have two guys that can win, and and the Bears obviously found out that Glenn wasn't just kind of going to be this game manager, but he was definitely losing them games and making a lot of critical mistakes that just weren't pretty unacceptable yeah well we'll see what direction this team goes gotta say though anytime a punter throws a touchdown it's nice and i haven't seen a two-point conversion that flashy so there's some problems there (laughs) yeah sometimes you kind of see like a two-point trick play but that was definitely like a three-point trick play um getting those three guys involved so (laughs) the two-point plays are are weird to uh, game plan for or you know or call for because you know you only need two yards but yeah, I don't know what the percentage is, but I feel like when you really need those those two points, it's tough to get. So any way you can get it, and you know, I guess they made it look a little easy on that play. And can I also say, too, the Vikings look like they're in trouble. Uh, I know this was more about the Bears and, and throwing out Trubisky for the first time, but they're not going to the playoffs. The Vikings still have playoff aspirations. Bradford was horrendous. I, he looks like he's still feeling the effects of his injury. No Dalvin Cook. I think this team's in trouble. Yeah, I think uh, the Dalvin Cook injury was was huge. You know, I haven't gotten to see them play a whole lot this season, but but it really looked like he was really finding his groove. So that was a devastating injury for them. I know they do have some playmakers at wide receiver, but yeah, just looking at Sam Bradford's facial expressions, I mean, he had to be maybe frustrated just the way that his body is kind of broken down or kind of deceived him for his career. I know I've never been a huge Sam Bradford fan, but I think obviously injuries have been what's really taken the toll on his career and and. Uh, you know, if he's healthy his whole career, I don't know if it's that much different, but he has proven that when he is healthy, he is, you know, a serviceable quarterback that, that can kind of, you know, manage games. And, and if you put him, you know, in a good system with, with some playmakers, then he can kind of write, write the ship, but just hasn't been able to get it going and, you know, really haven't played a whole lot of meaningful games. I think his rookie year, uh, he had a chance to make the playoffs last week of the season, didn't do it. And, and uh, you know, I don't know what's next for him. If You know, you can kind of keep, keep this up if he's going to be injury prone all the time. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to see. He didn't even finish the game. Keenum, and that was the right move. Zimmer had to get a change there. Bradford didn't have it, and Keenum actually won them this game. But long-term perspectives, not looking good. Well, let's uh, continue yeah, on. That, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, it definitely looks like it's going to be a two-team race in the north between the Packers and, and the Lions. And, I mean, I expect the Packers to pull away in you know, meaningful <laughs> games. I think they'll definitely get it done. But 
I don't know. Maybe this is the year that the Lions would have a chance. Very optimistic, saying it's even a two-team race <laughs> in that division. I don't know. I, yeah. It, it's uh, The Lions could still push for a playoff spot, but I think we all know where that division is headed yet again. Yeah. I do want to say, though, in regards to the injury theme, unfortunately that happened again. Last week was a bad one. This week probably was even worse. And we saw it, Adam, on the Sunday night game, especially the Chiefs and the Texans, the Chiefs winning a shootout over the Houston Texans. But the bigger story in that game was not that final score frame of 42-34, to 34, but it was that Houston defense, again ravaged with two season-ending injuries to that defense. Whitney Marcellus and J.J. Watt both out for the year. It was a brutal, brutal day, and I just I gotta ask you from the Watt perspective, because this is a guy that we know is somebody that is a face of the league, is one of the best defensive players we've seen, but he's out for the year again, and now we have to ask that terrible question: Is this going to be a reoccurring thing? Is he going to ever get to that full JJ Watt dominant status again? I think, unfortunately, it's a fair question. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, obviously he's a monster when he's playing, but you just wonder if, if that toll does t- take a toll on, on a body like that. Um, he's had back problems, right? That was another thing in, in his mm-hmm. past. Yeah, yeah, I know that, you know, that could be definitely pretty serious. So you don't really want to mess around with that. And, and yeah, you know, it is frustrating, you know, as a football fan, because I know we talked about that, talked about it before, but there's just some guys, and obviously I'm sure we'll talk about Odell Beckham, but guys are the face of the NFL. And, and I think just guys that football is better and football is more fun when they're in the lineup. And, and if, yeah, unfortunately for the, the Texans, it's got to be frustrating for them because they have these three monsters with Clowney, Merciless, and Watt, but it seems like they're never able to get them all right at the same time. And when they do, they can really really be unstoppable. And now it seems like they kind of have the offense going, which they've been missing the last couple of years. And, yeah, I mean, obviously Watt is uh, – obviously what he's done speaks for himself. I mean, maybe now it's even time to talk about if he retired or doesn't play it down. Is he a Hall of Famer? I'm not 100% sure. But, but yeah, you know, I, I, I know, you know, as you get older, it's harder to rehab. And, obviously, he's one that does work really hard in the offseason. But there, I think there is something to be said about if, if you do find yourself in this injury-prone situation where you're not able to consistently compete every year. Yeah, and the secondary is not quite as good as it was in years prior, so they're going to need him. They can't really get by without him as they have in the past. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and I would say I'm, I'm, he might be a Hall of Famer. You know, it, that's a tough one. Like you said, it's going to be. I hope we don't get there. I hope he has a, a lot of good years left in front of him. But it was tough, and that offense too, because with what Houston's able to do offensively, Deshaun Watson another good couple touchdown drives. You know, the accuracy wasn't there, but he had five touchdowns and threw no interceptions. So. Uh, you get that play out of the quarterback position finally, Bill O'Brien's got to be so frustrated because finally he has the offense that at the very least is going to be serviceable week in, week out. But now the defense is falling off of, uh, it has its wheels falling off. So very frustrating for Houston. And obviously them being in a division, I think that's improved, but, but you know, a lot of inconsistencies with, with the Colts and, and maybe the Jaguars are finding their stride and the Titans have had injuries, but definitely the opportunities there as a team that, you know, can make a playoff push even, you know, nine and seven, ten and six with a serviceable quarterback, even if it is a, a Tom Savage or obviously they tried with Osweiler. If you kind of have someone that can just kind of right the ship a little bit, the defense will usually carry them and now it seems like they have that and then the defense takes a big hit like that. The other side of this game, Adam, is the best team in football right now and probably for my money through five weeks, the MVP of the league. And I know it sounds crazy, but it's got to be Alex Smith through five games, right? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I didn't 
think about it that way. It's it's weird to say that or think about it, but I guess when you really go down the list, I mean, he's really improved his game in, in the deep ball and, and what he's done for the Chiefs offense. And, and obviously, yeah, last of the NFL's undefeated team. So there's always that thing in the back of your mind that creeps about, you know, how this, how is this team going to do in December and January? But they're setting themselves up nicely. And, and, you know, I know they've struggled still at home in the playoffs. And it's way too early to talk about that anyway. But if they can get people in at Arrowhead, that's a tough situation to play in, even though that hasn't obviously been a sure thing in the playoffs. But, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what it is with Alex Smith. I don't know if it's all because of, you know, the pressure of drafting Patrick Mahomes or, or just kind of, you know, it's his time. Because it's hard for quarterbacks that are at that age to just kind of flip the whole thing that they've done their whole career but I, I'm, I'm buying it, so yeah. you know, so far so good. And I think another thing to keep in mind is having a dominant and also available through five games running back in Kareem Hunt. I know he had Jamal mm-hmm. Charles, but Charles was injured a lot. He has a right. true bell cow in the backfield. That helps. Tyreek Hill as a weapon. Some of the receivers that are underratedly good. I'll say they're not you know, obviously great receivers, but they're good enough. Travis Kelsey is a weapon. And he's got Andy Reid calling plays for him. So I don't know if it's all – I think it's, there's, a, there's a pie chart. I don't know how the percentages work. But what Andy Reid can do offensively has never looked better than it does right now. Because that defense got scored on a lot, and they still didn't let it phase them to the tune of 42 points and a QB rating for Smith of 130. Yeah, this is definitely not your uh, you know old-school Kansas City Chiefs team where they're eating up these 13 to 10 wins. And, and yeah, it's a good point you know with what Andy Reid has done in his career. And it's kind of all working, and they're able to find these late-round guys and kind of put it all together. I think you really have to give the Chiefs you know, management and coaching and football operations a lot of credit for what they've been able to accomplish, really kind of flying under the radar, I think, over the last few years. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the losses at home and the playoff struggles. This might be the best year. I mean, who is that team? The Patriots don't look like the Patriots. The Steelers are in a world of trouble. I think everything's lined up for them to this to be their year, even if you know their defense isn't as good. I don't see the other team out there that would scare them anymore. Yeah, and maybe this is what they have to do to win in the playoffs. You know, you can't be you know become really conservative, and obviously, you know, going back to Marty Ball in the '90s with with the Chiefs, but but you know, I think that's kind of what Alex Smith and maybe the book on him and and Andy Reid have been a little bit in the playoffs where you kind of tighten it up. But, you know, if they can keep opening it up in, in the playoffs, I think that is, this is their formula to winning, and, and maybe that's, you know, why they haven't succeeded over the last couple of years. We'll see. Well, the Chiefs look good. Only undefeated team left through five weeks. 5-0 and are those Kansas City Chiefs. Money Mitch Effect NFL Week 5 recap with Adam Musto. And, Adam, let's talk to what was, I don't even think it's an argument, the game of the day on Sunday. It was another Green Bay-Dallas classic game. And stop me if you've heard this before. I know it makes you a little queasy in your stomach, but Aaron Rodgers just dominates down the stretch to win another big game for the Packers, to win another big game over the Cowboys. 35-31 to 31 was the score. A lot to talk about in this game, Adam, but anytime you have a, a team in Dallas where you only punt twice and Rodgers still finds a way to beat you, I mean, I don't think it can get much more demoralizing than that. Yeah, and I think the whole drive, the drive when the, when the Cowboys took the lead late, the only thing you're really looking at that time is the score clock, how much time's left. And you, I mean, it's almost like playing arena football with, with Aaron Rodgers. You almost have to score with less than 10 seconds left. And, and, and I mean, right. what he's able to do is just unbelievable. You know, he's never been – he's always very elusive, and he has been able to run well. But, I mean, that play when he was able to roll out and break, you know, if he gets sacked, the game's basically over but he's able to avoid a sack and run for a first down. I mean, he, I think every, all of these miracle comebacks, I mean, every 
one is different in the sense. I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but I feel like he's always able to find these, you know, whether it's a Hail Mary or just a perfect pass on the sideline or a fade route. There's all these different ways that he can be you. And, I mean, it's, it's just unbelievable. And you all, I know John Madden had a quote where he would say, you know, the first part is you, you know you're going to win, and then, then the fans know, you know, the, the road team's going to win, and then the other team knows that they're going to lose. And that's kind of what it is. And, and I mean, it's just – and I'm kind of conflicted because I'm – you know, obviously I don't like the Packers as a Bears fan, but the Cowboys are probably my 31st or 30th favorite team. So this is always kind of a tough matchup for me when these right. two teams play each other. So, you know, I don't mind seeing Dallas go down anyway. And yeah, I think you just got to respect the guy. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, obviously you do. I think we've gotten to this point. We expect Rodgers to make these throws. It's The, the thing that I think's impro- improved or increased in the minds of people, why people value Rodgers more – is because of the other side. We see so many bad quarterbacks in this league, right? We see quarterbacks that just can't play the position. We can't find 32 human beings to be competent starters every year. Oh, yeah. If there's Rodgers out there every week, game on the line, he's just money. That's the part oh, that's yeah. hard to understand. Yeah, I think if you kind of if you kind of rank them, you know, or put them on a spectrum, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be an even spectrum, you know, that you got Brady and, and Rodgers probably in the few, but there's a pretty big drop between and, you know, we're talking now a lot about quarterbacks and what weapons they have, whether it's the co- coaches, how they use the running backs. But it seems like whoever you put in with Rodgers, it's going to work. And I haven't been a huge fan of Mike McCarthy. I, I think that Rodgers really carries that team, obviously. And But somehow it works. And I know a lot of fans kind of give him flack for having some inconsistencies in the playoffs. But, I mean, what he's been able to do with not a whole lot of help around him has just been, you know, unbelievable. And, I mean, he's, it's just it's so dangerous. Right, and I fully expect him to win the MVP this year. Just want to point that out while I credit Alex Smith. I think Rodgers is going to pass him and be the MVP. But that's the time for another discussion. In this game in particular, I really do think, and it's hard to blame the offense on the Cowboys because they were carrying all the weight, but I think the game was won on that pick six. I think that was the difference. If Dak doesn't throw a pick six, which you can blame the receiver a lot on that play as well, I think they win this game. Yeah, it's it's a tough throw. You know, I've watched it a couple times. I'm not 100% sure who's 100% at fault. But, yeah, I mean, down down close to your own end zone, it's just can't have that at all. And we you know, we did kind of see that in, in going back, I guess, to the Bears-Vikings game, just those critical turnovers late. And, uh, and you know, it, it's funny. The, the Packers, they haven't been the most consistent team on defense, but for some reason they just seem to be really opportunistic and, and do force turnovers and, and the biggest moments. And, and I feel like they have had a lot of you know, pick sixes or touchdowns on defense over the years to kind of help out Rodgers. Yeah, I, I just, Dallas last year, they won a lot of these close games. I don't even think their defense is that much worse than last year. I think they're just not executing down the stretch. The Rams game was another example of that. And they're not getting the breaks that they got last year. It happens. It's football. Uh, I think there's still a threat to turn it around because, and that might lead into my next thing, Adam, I'm just still not quite sold on the Eagles and or Redskins. So I think Dallas is going to have a chance. I know the Eagles looked great. Carson Wentz looked great against Arizona. And the Redskins you know, are a 2-2 two and two team that have lost to some pretty good teams. But I still think Dallas has a shot here because I'm just not sold on the rest of that division. Yeah, I mean, the, the Eagles have been impressive. And maybe I'm just not giving them credit. But um, you know, I, I don't know if their schedule has been. And Arizona is kind of a weird team to judge because you kind of have pretty high expectations for them. But we've no seen David them drop Johnson a lot of, either. Exactly, yeah course so so i think yeah i think there's still time to kind of figure out who the eagles are and, and if they you know because i think over the last couple of years we've seen a lot of inconsistency from them where they'll, they'll have blowout wins but then drop some really critical games so 
And this is obviously down the stretch. The NFC East has always been really competitive. And yeah, going back to the Redskins, I think this is also where Kirk Cousins, I feel like we've been saying it the last few years, but he can kind of, you know, earn himself some more money. Obviously, it's not a bad situation playing on these uh, franchise deals each year. But, but I think that's what the Redskins are really looking for before they commit to him is, you know, because it's one thing to put up stats and a few wins in, in September and October. A lot of people do that. But, but I think, you know, to really earn your keep is, you know, when you're, I mean, you see it with obviously New England and Green Bay where they're just, you expect them to win the division every year and, and you don't have to worry about them in these you know, late season divisional games where everything's on the line, the pressure, the, the situation is going to be too big for them. Yeah, I think there's going to be some big divisional games down the stretch. Dallas will have a chance. Cousins, can he prove that he's worth the long-term money? We'll see. All right, Money Mitch Effect, Adam Musto. I want to keep it moving. Actually, that last team in that division we didn't talk about, the biggest uh, disaster of an NFL season so far has to belong to the New York Giants, a team of Super Bowl aspirations when the season started. They lost to the winless Los Angeles Chargers at home and lost three receivers. That has to be a record, Adam. Three receivers to season-ending injuries in the same game. Uh, maybe it's not a record. I, you might know more than I would there. But the Chargers get their first win. And this isn't about the Chargers, Adam. Rivers barely played well. They they squeaked by a win over a bad team that was breaking down. I don't expect much out of them going forward. But this Giants team, I mean, this is a collapse of epic proportions. Now Beckham's going to be out for the year. That game on Sunday could have been an era-changing game. I don't expect McAdoo to be around much longer. And it could have ultimately closed the book on Eli Manning. Yeah, I mean, I I thought McAdoo, at least, and I think just because, you know, the, the Giants had confidence in them, and I think generally they do make pretty good decisions uh, in the front office. But, yeah, it just hasn't worked. And, I mean, I go back. I, I think I, when I was on your show last year, I, I don't know if I was talking about that. I, I'm really not a huge fan of Eli Manning. I know, you know, some people are dead set that he's a Hall of Famer because of the Super Bowl wins. But, but outside of those two games, I don't really know what he's done. And, I, I mean, I don't know if he's been that – I don't know who's been more relevant over the last half decade, the Bears or, or the Giants. Right. Um, you know, they just haven't, you know, they win the Super Bowls when they're in them, but then they have these long, and obviously they were in the playoffs last year, but they didn't win a playoff game. And, and it's, it's just kind of so bizarre how, you know, you can beat the undefeated Patriots, but just weak. To, I, and, and that's, it, it's just so much different comparing him to Peyton Manning, how you just have the consistency and, and you knew, you know, every year you're going to get 10 to 10 to 12 wins. And so, I mean, I don't know if that would be out of line to call him just woefully overrated, and that's just kind of how he's been his whole career. But and it and definitely has surprised me that they're zero five. But yeah, I don't know, you know, where to go up, go from there. I don't know if there's a whole lot of upside left for him. Yeah, they're going to be looking at that quarterback class, I think, in this draft. And really, I think a more fair thing, maybe not saying woefully overrated, but if a guy like Jake Keller would have got hot in the playoffs twice, he would have been Eli Manning. He'd have been better than Eli Manning. <laughs> that's pretty much. Yeah, it. definitely. I mean. Yeah, you just kind of have. I mean, some guys are gamers, and, and or you know, some guys are just cool when the situation's right. And um, you know, I was watching one show about some draft picks that flamed out, and and sometimes they just start right away, and either in a bad situation on a bad team, and it kind of affects them their whole career. And then other guys just kind of are you know cool as a cucumber and, and get the job done. Um, yeah, and I mean, think about it, he's had he's had uh, Beckham you know for the last few years, and it still hasn't been a whole lot of consistency. So if you can't do it with you know, I mean, look at what Matt Ryan and, and Julio Jones have done and, and Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. And, you know, I mean, it's not a very difficult task for for uh, Eli Manning over the last couple of years. No, it isn't. And Beckham's injury is just a gut punch, uh, not a good thing for the league and, and for that team especially. 
you always got to be uh, you always got to be worrisome when it involves the, f- the feet and legs of a receiver, somebody that relies on speed like that. So hopefully he can do well, but and uh, and we'll see what happens there. There are some surprise teams though, Adam, in the NFL, and I think one of them uh, off the top has to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. What they did to Pittsburgh, I know Pittsburgh doesn't seem like they're the normal Steelers team. They're three and two, but their two losses have come to the Bears and the Jaguars. Pittsburgh was at home against Jacksonville. They lose 30-9 in a game where Ben Roethlisberger had a stat line of zero touchdowns, five interceptions, two pick sixes. Just a horrendous day for Big Ben. And even he, after the game, was saying how bad it was, how bad he seemed. Uh, Maybe he didn't have it anymore. But I have to think a lot of this is to do with that Jacksonville defense that maybe not so quietly anymore is one of the best units in all of football. Yeah, I think they've drafted really well in the secondary, and that's been they're just able to shut guys down. And, and I think they have a lot of upside with, with the young guys that they have. And and on the other side of the ball, definitely going into this game, if obviously I'm sure 95 percent of people, if you had said, well, one of the quarterbacks is going to throw five interceptions, and another team's going to run for over 200 yards, you could probably figure out what those two teams are going to be, and they're not, you know, what ended up happening. So, yeah, I don't, you know, obviously it's going to be tough to see if the Jaguars can Portals kind of continues his inconsistency and I don't think you know obviously no one's going to argue that he's lived up to his expectations but Fournette and, and uh, Ivory can probably carry the team and, and see how long it goes. This has all the makings of a Brock Osweiler special. They don't need Bortles to do too much. You have a defense that's phenomenal with you know Jalen Ramsey. Maybe the best corner in all football already. A.J. Bouye was a great pickup. They, they drafted so well in the front seven. But you have Leonard Fournette also showing that he has something to say about the rookie running back class. You really don't need much there. Jacksonville can, especially with their schedule, get to 9-10 wins. That might be enough. Uh, on the flip side, Pittsburgh just looks like a team that maybe will get into the playoffs, but not really a threat to do much. This isn't Jacksonville. This is a team that wanted to win the Super Bowl, realistically thinks they can win the Super Bowl, and that's just not good enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just kind of bizarre because when you look at them, I mean, they still have the pieces in place. I mean, they have arguably the best wide receiver and, and probably one of the best running backs and definitely an upper-tier quarterback. But for whatever reason, it just hasn't hasn't really worked this season. The consistency, I mean, obviously, I feel like that's kind of the case every year where they, they kind of struggle a little bit throughout. You know, it's definitely the case last year, but they get into the playoffs and they're still a dangerous team. And, and there is, I think, some of that, that veteran leadership can carry a team through the playoffs. You know, obviously they do have higher expectations, not just to be a wild card team and win a playoff game or, or, or two. And I don't know if Mike Tomlin's on the, the hot seat. I know they have high expectations. I know some people are a little frustrated if they felt like they've underachieved the last couple of years. I mean, I think what he's done speaks for them themselves. And I mean, the, the Steelers are definitely a very consistent franchise, if nothing else. But yeah, I think they do need a little bit more this year. Well, it's an epic time. It's an up-and-down season, to say the least, in Pittsburgh. And then, Adam, the other team that I think has somehow flown under the radar with how good they've been playing, the Carolina Panthers. 4-1 and one on the season. They beat Detroit. 27-24 was the final, but it was a lot more lopsided than that for most of the game. It was an interesting week for Cam Newton. Probably the lowest of lows is his professional career with what he, had to, with what he got himself into off the field. But on the field, he's looking like old 2015 Cam. Yeah, I think, like you said, I mean, it is kind of weird to say that, you know, they're flying under the radar. They're terrible. But, yeah, I mean, you don't really hear about them. I think, you know, I don't know if people just kind of forgot about them or when the dad went out, kind of Cam, Cam went out. But, <laughs> but, yeah, I think he's um, – it's tough to say, obviously, with some of the stuff he's done off the field. But 
but I think that I and it, it took me a little bit to buy into him and I know like his style was a little different when he's coming out of the NFL but I think you know they're getting their wide receivers right and obviously losing Greg Olson was was a big blow for them but yeah you know I think after their 15 and one year a couple of years ago it's you know you shouldn't just forget about them and throw them in the the pile well it's interesting too because I think what Carolina can do when their defense is healthy is play that stout defense. Julius Peppers is somehow you know found the fountain of youth. Is playing well. The running game got shut down against Detroit. That's what makes Cam's game even even more special is that he was able to go for three fifty plus. Devin Funches is a red is a red zone target. They got some more toys for him to play with. And in a league, and I keep hammering this point home, Adam. In a league where there's not that many, maybe not any great teams. Why can't Carolina make a run? They're definitely going to throw their hats in the race with some skilled guys that they have. Yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, and that division always kind of seems to, you know, flip flop every year. And even I think Atlanta, I don't know if they're the same as they were last year. So, yeah, I think they're right in it. You know, I don't know what's what's going on with, with the Saints, but they can definitely make a run. And, and uh, I think they have enough to, uh, there is so much inconsistency in the NFL. I think they have that playoff experience and good veteran leadership. Yeah. Well, Adam Musto, Money Mitch Effect, before I let you go, we saw four teams, by my calculations, with one loss, lose games. So we, we saw a race to the middle yet again. Uh, and that includes the Buffalo Bills team losing to the Bengals, where we kind of hyped them up maybe a little bit too much. Uh, the Lions, who we talked about. Uh, or one of them, the Steelers, and then they had the L.A. Rams. Now, I know it's the Seahawks game, and that's a uh, a rough-and-tumble affair every year, <laughs> but I feel like this happens all season, all the time with these teams, where we hype up young teams or teams that weren't supposed to be here, and then they immediately fall back to earth. I saw that time and time again, and it happened in spades this week. Yeah, it's definitely a good point, and you know, I, I think of those teams. I think the Bills and the Rams. I mean, all of them kind of have those same similarities, and and you know, sometimes it's just kind of the way the schedule works out, and and you obviously win some close games. I feel like things come in, in bunches, so you know, sometimes you get lucky and you win a bunch of games, or sometimes you're just kind of like the Forty Nineers and keep winning, you know, losing overtime games. Not that the Forty Niners are you know going to make a run for the playoffs anyway but so you know just kind of the bizarreness of of the nfl you never really know week to week and i think it's about you know how how these young teams manage themselves after after a loss because you know obviously it's a lot easier when, when you're winning but you know these young teams that maybe don't don't have the highest expectations in the locker room and aren't used to winning you know how do you come back from the adversity and i think that's you know what would propel, propel them down the stretch yeah well the good thing if you're a fan of the team i root for the browns is you're not used to winning so you don't have to worry about high expectations. I did want to, <laughs> I did want to throw out the <laughs> yeah. fact that they're two and thirty in their last thirty-two games. But even more embarrassing than that is they have eighty-eight wins since they started back up as a franchise. That was in nineteen ninety-nine. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I saw the one for the Bears that I saw was that they haven't. This is the first, and this is a couple weeks old, but they they hadn't started zero and three. I think in three straight years since like the 70s so unfortunately john fox is breaking a lot of team records that he'd probably rather not have but i'm kind of flipping into that mode too where uh you know the expectations are a lot lower but fortunately i guess i have the the cubs and you have the indians yeah we'll see though i mean i don't know how much longer i'll have the indians i mean (laughs) after tonight hopefully it keeps going but yeah yeah don't want to have to play uh, game five right away i know i'm not i'm not really happy thinking about wednesday already but yeah the one thing I'll say was we kind of put a bow on this. A lot of playoff teams, uh, potential playoff teams, I should say, 
you look at the standings, a lot of people are still on the hunt, which is why, you know, certain teams that I threw out as dark horses before the season started, you know, one, I'll just say New Orleans, New Orleans, and I just use them as an example. Why couldn't they make the playoffs? Jacksonville, Denver, even Oakland struggling. You know, there's still a lot of time left, and there's not these dominant teams in their way. So if you're Dallas at 2-3, and three, I don't think you have to be too worried just yet. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't know if it is maybe just lack of consistency, but if anything, maybe the Jaguars have kind of made a little bit of a blueprint for these. You know, I used to think that, you know, unless you have a franchise quarterback, it's, it's tough to compete. And But but they've kind of, you know, put together a formula where maybe these teams that don't have, you know, an all-star quarterback can still say, hey, we can win with the running game or we can win with defense or, you know, we can kind of just piece things together and make a run. And, and I, yeah, I think, you know, I, we've seen it with the Chiefs being the last on a few teams and it's only week five. So it's not like, you know, there's still a lot that will be figured out, and it's a pretty close race. So, um, you know, it's just about playing with consistency and what teams can make a run and take advantage of the breaks that they get. Yeah, and I'll I'll leave you with this, keeping it going to our theme where we were wrong. Where do you think you were wrong this week in particular in the NFL? Um, well, I, got, I, I mean, I was surprised that the, the Dolphins won. I feel like I've been writing them off. Jay Cutler, he always kind of seems like when the backs when his bat, he I feel like he just kind of plays up to a level or down a level of his, of his competition. So you know he'll kind of surprise you with something like that. And uh, and I, I think also just the Bengals. I, I know going back, I still thought last year was just kind of a fluke. And obviously, I know with the struggles Andy Dalton has had in the playoffs, but I, I still thought you know they had pieces in place to compete in the division. And obviously, they got the win this week. But but um, you know I kind of expected more from them earlier in the year. I'll say Oakland, I, I, and I was wrong. I, I, their roster is not as deep as I thought it was. Uh, and, and I don't know what happened to Amari Cooper, but he's not the same player. That secondary is still very, very suspect. I know they didn't have Carr this weekend, but they're a 2-3 and three team, and it could be worse. So um, still time, but that division is not going to get any easier. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, obviously, you know, Connor Cook wasn't the answer um, from what was on the playoff game last year, but they have a lot of good pieces in place. And, you know, I, I, Jack Del Rio, I don't know if he was the coach that can kind of get you over the hump. But, but yeah, I feel like, you know, they stacked in, in the running back position and their defense was pretty good. So, um, yeah, that's they're definitely in a big hole now. I know, and I thought EJ Manuel played well and just not terrible, not great, but defense let him down. Skill guys let them down again. Could be interesting for Oakland. Well, that was week five. Recap, Money Mitch Effect, Adam Musto. Thanks for, for joining the show. I know it's a late night for you in Chicago, and you still have the Cubs and, and the Surgeon Blackhawks to get you through this uh, October night. There you go, yeah. Had a nice uh, 10-1 win uh, to open the season. Uh, the Blackhawks did, and hopefully uh, that'll kind of be the case going forward. We'll see. <laughs> All right, Adam, thanks for joining the show. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Anytime. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again to both guests, Kent Brown and Adam Musto, for appearing on the show. Baseball games today. Indians could go out. It's a winner-take-all game between the Indians and the Yankees. So I'll be freaking out all day. Hope you enjoy the game. And hopefully the pitching matchups go in their favor for the Indians. It's, uh, it hasn't looked good the last two games. Games, I'm nervous. I'm freaking out. I don't know what's going to happen, but Indians, Yankees, sudden death baseball, nothing quite like it. Cubs Nationals also taking place very soon. So enjoy the baseball playoffs. we got football all weekend. Uh, it is a great, great time of year. You can catch the podcast, Money Mitch Effect, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Leave a rating, a review, subscribe, do whatever you want. But hopefully you spread the good word about this podcast. 
And we will see you next time. Enjoy all the sports that you take in this weekend. Until next time, I'm Mitch Michael. Thanks for listening to the Money Mitch Effect.